Michael G. Casey email only Mikhail Casey at hotmail.com. The Butcher, The Baker and the Undertaker see by Michael Casey. Chapter 7, And for Your Penance. Two weeks passed, during which time Patrick and June spent. Every second together, bonding is the technical term for it. Patrick had bought some super glue for the bed, it was supposed to bond in seconds, and last a lifetime, perhaps like Patrick and June's love. One thing was. By now certain, June was pregnant, it was time for Patrick to meet her. Parents. June rode her bike to the bakery, then she got into Patrick's. VW, together they would drive to meet her parents in Harborn. It was. High noon for this Cinderella, but hopefully no blood would be spilt. She had told her father already. Her father had asked just one simple. Question, are you happy? The smile in her eyes as she firmly said. Yes proved to him that she was. He was on her side, but what about her? Mother? Patrick licked his lips and played with his tie as he drove to. Harborn, he hated ties, but June said her mother preferred men to wear. Ties. Don't be so glum, she's not a dragon, sticks and stones can break your bones but my mother will only use her tongue, said June. What about the lad you were going to get engaged to, she scratched his face and your dad kicked his arse, said a worried Patrick. I told you dad's on our side, it's just mom we have to convince, besides. It's us not them if it comes to it, said June kissing Patrick on the cheek. Percy who was driving towards them in the hearse smiled as he passed by. He was pleased for Patrick, even if he had got things in the wrong order. See if Percy can smile why can't you, chided June. He's not driving himself to his own funeral as he answered Patrick. If you don't cheer up I'll tickle you, said June as she started to. Tickle Patrick. Patrick laughed and the car veered a little, there was a flash of blue. Light and a siren sounded, Patrick slowed and stopped. Luckily it was. Sergeant Dot Mulholland. What's got into you Patrick, you could have caused an accident. Sorry Malls, I'm off to meet my future mother-in-law, only she doesn't. Know yet that she's going to be a grandmother, began Patrick. He was looking so sad, so I tickled him, it's my fault, said June. Interrupting and shrugging her shoulders. It's okay I won't arrest you this time, we can have the baby being born. In Winston Green Prison after all. But watch it, and don't forget my wedding invitation, with that Sergeant Dot Mulholland got back into his squad. Car. From his squad car a smile on his face he said on his loudspeaker, well. I hope the super glue works and if the mother-in-law gives you any trouble. I'm in the phone book, 999, that's me, laughing at his own joke. Sergeant Dot Mulholland sped off. June blushed, Patrick muttered bastard under his breath. Well at least the glue did work, laughed June. Patrick laughed too, the mother-in-law would be a doodle now, if not. Then they knew Sergeant Dot Mulholland's phone number. June rang the front door bell, her father opened the door. He stood there and looked at Patrick, they sized each other up. June felt tense too, just as she had when she waited for her pregnancy test. Results. It was like waiting for the parachute to open on your first jump, the theory was all very well but the proof was in the pudding, or the opening chute rather. A full minute went by before Mr. Kemp held out his hand, he was handing over his daughter, he was giving up control. Come on in, welcome, I've got to like you, June does so I do, he squeezed the life out of Patrick's hand, and placed the other hand on top. It was the handshake of welcome, though judging by look in his eye there was also a warning, hurt my daughter and I'll hurt you. It wasn't spoken. But Patrick knew it was there. June hugged her father, he'd been fair. 
Now it was just her mother who'd need convincing. Patrick was led along a plush corridor to the back living room, for him it felt like the last. Walk to the gallows, only instead of the gallows there was June's mother. Waiting, a human electric chair. Patrick entered the room and gulped, they had decided to get it over and done with quickly, her mother would sense what was to come as soon as a man arrived, so they'd make things plain as soon as possible. Who was that at the door? Smiled Mrs. Kemp. She noticed Patrick, he was holding June's hand, the current was switched on, Mrs. Kemp's eyes registered power on. Oh, it's June, she's brought us her young man, replied Mr. Kemp. Hoping to earth his wife. Mrs. Kemp straightened, current rising, the cat jumped from her lap, the cat showed its claws, all Mrs. Kemp needed was a witch's hat. He's holding your hand, he must know you rather well, her smile grew. As did the current, the hair on Patrick's head began to rise. Yes mum, he knows me well, June replied, squeezing Patrick's hand. Even harder. Mr. Kemp could feel the power surge so he moved in to dampen it, he'd have to make a big sacrifice but June was worth it. He went to the drinks cabinet and poured his wife a large measure from the bottle of Wayne's special reserve, he'd been given it when he had finished help lay Wayne's new carpet. Mrs. Kemp took the glass and sipped it, then as the sparks flashed from her eyes she finished off the whiskey, it was a very good drop but nothing was going to divert her. I guessed he knows you very well, but I do hope he's not like the last. Boy, Mrs. Kemp flexed her fingers, they were like flick knives, she'd only just finished painting them, they were blood red. The current ebbed and flowed in her, she was like a tiger on the prowl. Just waiting for the right moment to pounce. Patrick is not like the last lad, he's special, in fact very special. He's a gentle and kind man, he likes dogs too, June said, though she felt like King Canute trying to stop her mother's surge. Doesn't he have a tongue in his head, or is he the dumb kind? Asked Mrs. Kemp smiling sweetly, though her sweet smile meant the opposite. Of course he does, here let me get you a refill, said Mr. Kemp again. Trying to discharge the current. This time Mr. Kemp filled the glass to the brim, it was a waste of good. Whiskey, yet June was worth it. Of course I have a tongue, and teeth too, said Patrick the current. Had stung him. So why are you honoring us with your presence, asked Mrs. Kemp, her. Words felt like a cattle prod. June and Patrick exchanged looks, both gulped, Mr. Kemp closed his eyes. Well I've come here to ask your permission to marry June, said Patrick. Mrs. Kemp choked on her whiskey, then she downed it all in one, Mr. Kemp. Hurried to refill her glass, if she was drunk then her charge would be. Discharged. Yes, we are going to be married, we are in love. Exclaimed June. Don't be foolish child, you must only know I'm a matter of weeks. Scolded Mrs. Kemp, as the charge grew within her. Don't call me a child, I am 28, I am a woman. Retorted June. Mr. Kemp hovered with the bottle, it was a criminal waste, but he had to. Earth his wife somehow. Woman, you, what do you mean? Mrs. Kemp's eyes flashed like. Lightning, her eyes were trying to fry Patrick. June blushed, then she kissed Patrick, she kissed him the same way she had that evening in the trader. She was proving a point. Mrs. Kemp knocked back another glass of Wayne's special reserve, this was terrible. Her child was behaving like a common slut. So he does know you well, just how well, Mrs. Kemp got out of her chair, she stood on the cat's tail as she did so, the cat spat, but Mrs. Kemp was spitting even more. Mr. Kemp took a swig from the bottle before filling his wife's glass, he poured till the glass overflowed, the cat licked up the whiskey and began.
To smile, whiskey is better than whiskers any day. We know each other well enough to want to get married, said Patrick. But you are only a child, look what we saved you from with that last. Chap, all he wanted was your money, Mrs. Kemp was ignoring Patrick now. We are getting married, I'm going to be Mrs. June Murphy. Mrs. Kemp flinched, as if the current had changed direction and stung. Her, was that Murphy she had heard. Mr. Kemp took another swig from the bottle, before filling his wife's glass again. Mrs. Murphy, that name rings a bell. It's Irish anyway, you can become an Irish wife. The Irish are only good for digging roads and having hordes of children, Mrs. Kemp stopped, she looked shocked. He hasn't has he, her eyes were pleading. He has, and I have, it takes two mother, said a defiant June. Pregnant. But you can be your a virgin, Mrs. Kemp was confused. The current within her was going around and around in circles, the whiskey had finally reached the spot. They love each other, can you see that, June is a sensible girl who you think she'd wait till she was 28 just to get pregnant with the wrong boy? Asked Mr. Kemp as he took another swig from the bottle. Murphy, I remember that name, we lent them money years ago. Oh God. No, we lend them money now the sun comes back for the lot, well that's the Irish for you, Mrs. Kemp grabbed the bottle from her husband's hand and took a good swig from it. Look I'm not after your bloody money you can keep it, all I want is. June, you can have the bloody tie back too, it's one of your husband's. June made me wear it. Patrick tore off the tie and threw it in Mrs. Kemp's face. But do you have to marry him, can you have the baby adopted, or not? Have it or something. Begged Mrs. Kemp the whiskey talking. You bitch, don't you ever speak to June like that. Snapped Patrick. Yes, shut up you old bitch. Snapped Mr. Kemp, who had wanted to say. That for years, now thanks to Wayne's special reserve he had said it. June's heart leapt, her father was on her side, he really did like. Patrick, she knew it. Mrs. Kemp slumped in the chair she drained the bottle to the last drop. The cat had drunk all the spilt whiskey so he now jumped on Mrs. Kemp's lap, the two bitches fell asleep. Ignore her, she's a professional virgin, she just doesn't understand. Love, I hope you give me lots of grandchildren, Mr. Kemp belched then. Fell over unconscious, Patrick only just managed to catch him. June held up Patrick's hand a knockout, the winner is love. They kissed again, free of any inhibitions, it was good that June's. Parents were both unconscious, they'd have fainted if they saw how the pair kissed. A week later Patrick took June to the early Sunday Mass, he wanted to have a word with Fr. Shaw. All through the Mass Fr. Shaw was watching them like a hawk, he had to make his mind up about them, if he wasn't certain, then he wouldn't marry them. June and Patrick were the last to leave the church that Sunday morning, Patrick wanted to have Fr. Shaw's undivided attention. Can I have a word, Father? Patrick felt and sounded like a teenager. Well it's my job, isn't it? Fr. Shaw looked up at Patrick from under his large eyebrows, Fr. Shaw had a mischievous look about him, in school in. The 30s his school teacher in Castle Island had said that one day he'd hang. Well father, could you marry me? Began Patrick. What are you asking me, do you know priests don't marry, besides I'm not one of those queer fellows, so I won't be marrying you, can you? Get a nice girl like this one here to take a shine to you. Said Fr. Shaw. As he began to laugh heartily at his own joke. June laughed, Patrick looked confused before the penny dropped and he joined in. They followed Fr. Shaw from the porch up into the presbytery. 
Once in his study he sat in his old battered armchair and waited for them. To sit down. Well Patrick it is nice to see you coming to mass more regularly, it's not. Just because they have stopped the Sunday milk deliveries is it, of. Course it isn't, you're a nice good Catholic boy after all. You see father I want to marry June here, Patrick glanced at June. Well now, marriage is a holy thing not to be entered into lightly, it's. Not like a night out at the pictures you know, Fr. Shaw sounded serious. My mother says that too, said Patrick looking at the ground. One should only marry if you mean to stay married, till death do us. Part and all, and church isn't just for the photo album either, it makes. Me so sad to hear people say how pretty a church is when they only see the. Inside of one when they get married, Fr. Shaw sighed. I want to be with Patrick forever, smiled June. So you do my child, so you do, said Fr. Shaw from beneath his eyebrows. I feel the same way too, Patrick looked Fr. Shaw in the eye. Now you have done things in the wrong order, haven't you? Fr. Shaw. Sounded like a doctor rather than a fire and brimstone priest. Well that's my fault, but I'm not ashamed, I love Patrick, it's just. That, that, June struggled for the words. The volcano exploded, said Fr. Shaw sucking his lips. Yes, said June. Yes, said Patrick. June, you're not a Catholic, would you be willing to let the child grow? Up as one? Fr. Shaw looked intently at her. Well I've never really thought about it, but I went to St. Paul's. My friends there were Catholics. Why not, perhaps some time in the future? I might become a Catholic too, answered June. We don't want to pressurize you, the days of the Inquisition are long. Over, Fr. Shaw said softly. Well the more I have in common with Patrick the better, smiled June. Well Patrick, June, everybody I have ever married has stayed married. Till death do us part so if I agree to marry you I hope you won't go. Spoiling my record, Fr. Shaw scoured their faces. We won't? Fine, I'll marry you at the end of the month, is that okay? Great, said June. Now the little matter of being early starters, really I should give you. A penance Patrick. June has been a pagan, but you a nice Catholic boy. Should have no better than to steal a maiden's virginity. June blushed, Patrick squirmed in his chair. Well you see I'm an old and simple Jesuit back from the missions, my. Health isn't what it used to be, so Patrick for your penance. June and Patrick held their breath, they watched as Fr. Shaw stroked his. Eyebrows before he pronounced the penance. The penance for stealing a maiden's virginity is, organize a fate for. The children's home this Saturday, you must raise as much as possible for. The children. Then perhaps you will realize that though making children. Is fun it is also a responsibility, so raise some money for all the children in the home. And by the way I want June to spend more time with her family till the wedding, if you know what I mean, besides it will. Give the glue a chance to work. With that the old Jesuit began to laugh. June blushed, Patrick wanted to swear but couldn't, so instead they all laughed. The next day Patrick went around the street with his begging. Bowl, he knew Big Sid adored children so he started with him. Big Sid. Was tenderizing some steak as Patrick came in the shop. Bastards, shouted Sid. The customers jumped, Sid hammered the steak even more, Sid looked up too. See Patrick standing at the counter. It was on the radio just, a man who battered his child to death only got. Five years in jail. I know what I'd do, Sid gave a final wallop to the. Meat before serving his customer. I hope I've not come at an inconvenient time, it's just that Fr. Shaw gave. Me a penance for being an early starter, Patrick looked at the sawdust. On the floor of the shop. 
Oh you mean about you getting June in the family way, I heard all about. It Percy had an early funeral this morning, him and Fr. Shaw had a right. Old laugh at your expense. It's a good idea that, let the penance fit. The crime, Sid was smiling. So you can provide a few things? Patrick looked hopeful. Well a goose to raffle and a few chickens. Thanks for me and the children's home, said Patrick as he turned to. Leave the butchers. Hang on a second, children's home, Percy only said it was for a home, he. Didn't mention any children. Stuff the chickens, I'll get you a pig too. Roast and a side of beef. Children deserve the best, they are the future. After all, Big Sid's chest swelled. Thanks Sid, Patrick nodded his appreciation and left the shop. Sid finished serving his customers then wiping his hands on his apron he. Went in the back to make a phone call. Hello, it's Big Sid here give me Len tell him it's most important. Len here what's up, has somebody been trying a fast one? Len's voice. Sounded urgent he never let anybody get one over him. No you're okay, how's the wife? Asked Sid. Fine, the boys too, Lynn was relaxing now. How's all those grandchildren of yours, Sid sounded genuine and was. Great just great, I'm gonna be a granddad for the tenth time next week. It's gonna be a girl, they had one of those scan things, Len was all. Relax now as he lit another large cigar. You heard on the radio about that man who battered his kid. Inquired. Sid as he scratched his ear. Yes I did, I'd stick the bleeder in my deep freeze till his knackers. Dropped off, said an indignant Len. It's always the children that suffer, sighed Sid. Yes the poor kids, just like in Romania, it was on the telly side. Len. It's been nice chatting to you, Sid was about to hang up. Yes, I always enjoy our chats, Len was about to hang up too. Oh, I nearly forgot, a friend on the street got his girl pregnant, so. His priest said that for his penance he had to organize a fate for the children's home, began Sid. God, that's funny, his girl has a bun in the oven and he has too. Arrange a fate for the children's home, Len laughed as he blew smoke. Rings. It's even funnier, when you think that he's a baker and she has a bun in. The oven, laughed Sid. The two laughed heartily. So I was wondering can you let me have a pig to roast and a side of beef? Two, none of this foreign muck, good old British beef, and a discount. Two, as it is for the sake of the children, asked Big Sid. Of course I can, come to think of it you can have it for free, I know. Want anybody to think I don't like kids, me soon to be a granddad for. The tenth time, Len swelled with pride as if he was carrying the baby. Himself. I'm willing to pay, said a sincere Sid. Look if I say something I do it, you know me, besides I will be helping. Somebody with his penance won't I, Len laughed heartily and put the phone down. Len felt good, he took another puff from his cigar before scratching his head, just how had he managed to talk himself into giving a few hundred pounds of meat away. He sighed and took another puff from his cigar. What the hell, he was going to be a granddad for the tenth time. As for Sid he put down the phone and wondered how he'd managed to get Len to do. That, nobody ever pulled a fast one on Len. Sid looked slightly. Bemused, he stood staring at the phone, perhaps he should ring Len back. He hadn't given him the details or anything. What the hell, it was for. The sake of the children after all. Patrick went to see Percy next, just what he was going to ask. He hadn't a clue and how could an undertaker help a fate for children. Anyway? Percy let Patrick in and led him to the office. Will you know why I'm here, can you help in any way? Asked Patrick. I'm sure there's something I can do to help, said Percy. Andy came in to write something in the office diary, as he wrote Percy. 
pondered out loud. What can we do for the fate, hum, let me think, Percy scratched his. Head. Well I could print off some leaflets on my Atari now that we've. Invested in a laser printer they will come off real fast, said Andy as. He finished writing the entry in the diary. Like he did before, said Patrick with a wink. Andy blushed, he was still young and naive enough to think that nobody on. The street had realized it was him the last time. Well we could turn up with the cars and give rides in them, or one for a. Ride of a hundred yards, people love a rolls, and a look at a hearse. Would interest people, said Percy. That sounds great, it starts at noon and goes on till seven or later if. I can get some entertainment, said Patrick. Okay leave it with us, you better get on with your penance Percy. Paused before adding, it's a bit like a modern fairy tale really. Patrick rolled his eyes and left them in the eternal peace of air. Undertaker's office. Outside Patrick was surprised to see June with Harry Amjee. Pulling her along the pavement. I just thought I'd come and see how you are doing. Amjeet has decided he wants to see his new home too, said June looking down at Amjeet. Woof, said Harry Amjeet, who wanted to prove that he was no dumb. Animal, Harry yes, dumb no. In his store Amjeet, the nun Harry one that is, he heard the enormous. Woof, so he came out to see what was happening. Just Finder followed her. Father outside. I see both your girlfriends are with you, Amjeet laughed. Come over here and I'll introduce them to you properly shouted. Patrick. Amjeet and Just Vinder came over the road to say their hellos. Just Vinder hid. Behind her dad's legs, June soon persuaded her that though the hairy Alsatian was big he had a heart of gold. What's he called then? asked Just Vinder ready to duck behind her. Father's legs at any moment. Well you have a teddy called Patrick, so Patrick has a dog called Amjeet. The same name as your dad, June savored her words. Amjeet's kiss curl visibly straightened, the smile on his face disappeared. Two, the tables had been turned and he knew it. But man you can't do that, I'll have a confused child, man you just can't do that, Amjeet held out his hands begging. Amjeet! shouted Just Vinder. Woof! replied Harry Amjeet. Amjeet! laughed Just Vinder as she stole a stroke of his hairy back. Woof! replied Harry Amjeet as he licked her face. See daddy, he has the same name as you, Just Vinder was all smiles, it was great as far as she was concerned. Come on let's go to Big Sid's perhaps he has some pork scratchings for. Him, June held out her hand for Just Vinder. So Just Vinder skipped up the road, with every skip she shouted out the dog's name, the barks echoed around the street. You're a bastard Patrick, said Amjeet. It takes one to know one, besides I owe you one after that Calcutta. Surprise, laughed Patrick. Amjeet smiled, Patrick was right, in fact Amjeet had got off easily. Well now that I've got your attention, can you help with the children's? Fate this Saturday. Patrick still felt uneasy asking people for help. Sure, we'll make some pasties and I can donate a few sacks of spuds. People always like baked potatoes, said Amjeet as he looked up the street to see his daughter teaching the dog the Indian for Sid and. Give us the paw. You'll have a very confused dog, Amjeet motioned with his head. No, just a multilingual one, laughed Patrick. Harry Amjeet soon mastered Indian, well enough to get himself some pork. Scratchings at any rate. Patrick smiled as he started off down the road. He'd try Mark's next. Mark had his cake book on the counter when Patrick came in. Henry the road sweeper had been in, and he told Mark about Patrick's. Penance, he'd heard from Michael who had heard from Percy. The grapevine. Was working, in fact Marvin Gaze heard it on the grapevine was playing. On Mark's radio as Patrick came in the cafe. 
so all Patrick had to do was offer some sacks of flour, the baking would be done in Mark's and at Patrick's bakery, Mark would make them up first. Patrick left Mark. Pondering over what delights he'd make, he'd pop into smiling Paul's. Next. A heated argument was going on in Paul's, somebody had lost a slip in a few hundred pounds, Paul wasn't going to pay out even if they called him Scrooge. Patrick hovered at the door, on impulse he decided to capitalize on events. He's not that bad, he began. He's tighter than a taxman, somebody yelled. No he's not, he's going to be making money for charity this Saturday. He'll have a stall at the children's home, all profits for the kids. He should make a thousand pound for them. Patrick had let his tongue run away with him. Yes, I'll be there, I'll be making money for charity, so let's have none of this about me being a bent bookie. Anybody knows, no slip, no payout, shouted smiling Paul. See you all at the children's home this Saturday, shouted Patrick as he left smiling Paul's. He had diffused things a little and managed to con smiling Paul into coming. Two, Patrick looked perplexed, just how had he done that, he shrugged his shoulders and forgot about it. Patrick looked up the street and smiled at June, their smile was like a ray of sunshine, it warmed and made them both feel glad, they knew they were made for each other so what if they were early starters? Patrick entered the trader as Harry Amjeet was selling his soul for pork. Scratchings, just think of the power a little Indian girl called. Just Finder had in her hand. So you went to confession then, smirked Annie. It beats in our father and a glory be doesn't it, laughed Betty. Look girls, began Patrick. Boys will be boys, said Annie. And girls will be girls, said Betty. And they end up having babies, finished Patrick, he could see it. Coming. Well I suppose you want me to run a bar. Said Wayne getting to the point. I had hoped for a few donations, I wasn't going to ask for a bar, I mean that would be too much to ask, Patrick said softly. Well don't ask then, but that's what you've got, besides it will be a day out for the family, I'll stick a note on the door telling my customers to go to the children's home if they want a drink, Wayne said. It as if he was telling the time, it was all settled. Thanks for me and the children's home, Patrick nodded his thanks, he couldn't believe how nice people were. When he'd left the pub the twins turned to their father and kissed him. Well he is one of your uncles after all, Wayne felt embarrassed. Oh daddy can we build sand castles, joked Annie. Can I have a ride on a donkey p-l-e-a-s-e, asked Betty fluttering her. Eyelashes. Stop making a fool of your father and fetch me my diary, I'm sure we can. Get the breweries to help too, Wayne winked, he had an idea. Outside Patrick bumped it into Jimmy, Patrick said he was sorry and was about to carry on with his penance when Jimmy called him back. Hey aren't you forgetting something, I may be a Jew but I'd like to help. A nice Catholic boy do his penance, Jimmy held out his hands like a magician proving they were empty. Oh I wasn't going to ask you, I mean the rest of the street are. Christians and is a Catholic children's home, and Anne, Patrick. Spluttered to a halt, the look on Jimmy's face was of shock. Look I know I can help you. I can do a valuation service, or want an item the money going to the home. Or was your carry belly just thinking of food? Jimmy sounded stern. Sorry, I just didn't think, Patrick looked at the ground. That's okay, after all Jesus was a Jew, it's just that you Catholics are. Jews who went wrong, you can't be blamed, Jimmy began to laugh. That's great Jimmy, really great. I've nearly finished asking everybody. Now, it would be nice if we had some live music too but for the life of me I doubt if I could get anybody at such short notice, Patrick sighed.
Well us Jews do have some connections. I'll get you a jazz band, most. Have a Jew playing for them, if not leading them. I hope jazz will be. Okay. Asked Jimmy with a flourish of his hands, a new trick finished. That'd be great. A smile lit up Patrick's face. Well go on then, finish your penance, I'm afraid with your funny nose. Us Jews wouldn't take you back into the fold, joked Jimmy. Patrick walked up the street to hug June, everything was going. Like a dream. Henry passed by pushing his cart, he felt neglected as he hadn't been asked to help, so Patrick asked him to come and do what he did best, collect litter. Wherever there are people there is litter. A wave of music engulfed Patrick as he kissed June, it came from Winston's Capri, it was so loud that his fluffy dice nearly fell off. Hey you L-O-V-E-R-S, I can advertise on my station, said Winston. Okay, advertise on your station, let a man get on with his work. Replied Patrick as he kissed June. Yes, let a woman get on with her work, said June arching her eyebrows. And kissing Patrick again. The engulfing music disappeared, Patrick didn't bother to ask how Winston knew about the fate, perhaps a birdie had told him, it wouldn't surprise. Patrick in the least. Patrick was tapped on the shoulder, it was Ken. About this fate, can I help? He was fidgeting with a bundle of letters, his postman's bag was nearly empty. For whatever reason, maybe it was out of fun, or perhaps out of a perverted sense of humor, Patrick led Ken to Big Sid's butchers. Inside Ken looked first at Patrick and then at Sid Patrick. Smiled, Big Sid smiled, Ken looked bemused. Patrick knew what was Sid's favorite TV program, Sid watched it with his grandchildren. So all Patrick had to do was smile, Sid could work the rest out for himself. He wants to help with the children's home fate, said Patrick. Yes, I'll do anything, said Ken, like a sheep saying it'd be chops. Anything? Asked Sid. Anything? Echoed Patrick. Yes anything, Ken even smiled. Anything whatsoever? Asked Sid, moving closer. Anything at all? Echoed Patrick moving closer. Anything but, began Ken. Postman Pat, interrupted Big Sid. What? Stammered Ken, hoping his ears weren't working properly. Postman Pat, smiled Sid. We want you to be Postman Pat, Patrick's eyebrows almost nudged Ken. Ken's left eye developed a twitch, he went quite pale and wanted to be. Sick, but how can you say no to an 18 stone butcher with a meat? Cleaver in his hand, and wearing a Postman Pat jumper under his apron. Pardon? Ken hoped that would be enough to confuse them. I want you to be Postman Pat, Sid moved closer, like a sumo wrestler. Coming in for the kill. Er, mumbled Ken, hoping to shake them off the trail. We, the two of us want you to be Postman Pat, said Patrick. Er, repeated Ken, that'd fox them for sure. What do you say? Asked Patrick plainly. Can I have a glass of water, croaked Ken. Sid went into the back for water, Ken had thought of dashing out the shop. But Harry Amjeet's nose was up against the door, Ken could almost hear his. Breathing through the glass. You swine, Patrick, hissed Ken. Will you do it? Demanded Sid as he handed Ken the water. Er, croaked Ken. Well will you do it? Asked Patrick. Ken gritted his teeth, he looked at Sid and at Patrick, at Harry Amjeet. There was only one possible reply. Ken took a sip of water and nodded. Slowly, like a condemned man choosing how to die. Fantastic, just wait till I tell my grandchildren, yelled Sid, he was so overjoyed that he patted Ken on the back. Only this made Ken choke. On his water. Sid jumped into action and burped Ken, this made Ken worse. Still, so Sid grabbed him and threw him over his shoulder to wind him. Sid finished off by sitting him Ken up on the counter. 
Are you okay now? Asked a fatherly big Sid. He looks a little off color, said Patrick. I'm fine, croaked Ken. Shall I burp him again? Asked Sid edging towards Ken. I think he's okay, he's getting his color back now, observed Patrick. I'm fine, just fine, said Ken as he climbed off the counter, though. Now he had a twitch in both eyes. Outside Harry M.G. jumped forward, as if instinctively knowing Ken was a postman, Ken jumped out of his skin. It's okay Ken, he's just saying hello, advised an all-knowing. Just Finder. Ken closed his eyes and hurried away, perhaps there was a rock nearby. Which he could crawl under. The evening before the fate Fr. Shaw was asking Sergeant. Mulholland. Whether the police would lend a hand, give a display or something. I don't know, our new inspector and a tough cookie. He used to live in the area years ago, now he's come back, only he's the boss now. Explained Sergeant. Mulholland. I've been away in the missions for a long time, I'm back too, only that. Man there is the boss, Fr. Shaw pointed to the cross on the wall. I could ask for you but he'd more than likely bite my head off the sergeant didn't relish the idea of asking the inspector for a favor. Well, I'll do it myself. What's this dragon's name then, though I'm certainly no George, asked a tired Fr. Shaw. His name is Inspector T. Howard, said Sergeant. Mulholland. Fr. Shaw's face cracked, the first light of dawn broke through it. And his Christian name? asked the old priest. Thomas, he insists on Thomas, not Tom, when he's being friendly. That's on the rare occasions he is friendly, explained the sergeant. The old embers in the priest's eyes glowed again, he knew that name. Only to him it was little Tommy Howard. The sergeant left the priest to dwell on the past, or rather on Tommy Howard's past, and how he became an owner of a bicycle thirty years ago. The day of the fate Patrick delivered his milk at breakneck. Speed, much of the milk had turned to butter such was the shaking it got. As Patrick scooted around his round. The dairy had donated a float full. Of milk too, what with the bank holiday it would have gone sour anyway. At the children's home Mark and Big Sid had arrived early too. Get the roast going. Big Sid was amazed to see that Len himself drove the refrigerated van to the home to deliver the meat. Well I had to make sure that only the best got delivered so I switched. The meat we were going to send to the council for some do of theirs for a third great piece of foreign stuff. Now the stuff I'm giving you is only choice meat, the kind you and me have every day at home, explained Len. Won't the council know you've tricked them? Wondered Big Sid. Them Burks wouldn't know best British beef for my arse, besides it's the kids who should have the best not councillors, Len spoke with passion. He'd once tried and failed to get selected for a council seat. Thanks Len, Big Sid's chest swelled with pride. Len might have reached the heights in the meat trade, but he was still a family butcher. At heart. The pair shook hands, two mighty hands clashed, it was like the sea. Crashing on a beach, a coconut could have been crushed, such was the power of their hands. Meat, friendship, love of children and bullocks. To the council, all this in one handshake. Now you have got some ham for later on haven't you? I mean people will. Get a little peckish later, Len was really concerned. I hadn't thought of that, I suppose I could dash back to my shop and get. Some, Big Sid started to take his apron off. Sid, Sid, this is my shout, besides I'm celebrating. My granddaughter. Was born last night, 10 pounds 12 ounces, a bit on the light size for my. Family but she's a beauty as little Catherine Len smiled from ear to ear. That's really good, and her mother ate a lot of liver while she was. Expecting? Asked Big Sid. Of course. Anyway I'll get some ham ordered, Len winked, as he 
reached into his pocket and brought out a cellular phone. Hello it's Len here, give me my son Tim. Hello, Tim can you switch the... Ham. You know the stuff we were saving for the football team do, you. No the council salutes our heroes, as if they'd fought a war or... Something. Anyway send that lot down here for 4 o'clock, if you look. At the back of the number 14 freezer we have some other ham. That'll do our precious heroes. Yes, that's all, asked Tim Len. Smiled as he put the phone back in his pocket. You're a real gem Len, a real gem, big sit hug Len. I'm just doing my bit, besides if you didn't tip me off all those years. Ago I'd still only have the one shop, Len looked at the ground he. Didn't have the words to say thanks, but he had the meat. Patrick arrived on site to see that he had a display of vans. They had all happened to park in a row. So now he had the butcher, the baker, the undertaker, David's dumper truck, Frank's furniture van. Peter's place van plus the float he had arrived on. Jimmy had a cloth spread over the front of his gold BMW and was valuing things already. Frank came rushing up to explain his presence. You see for two years I've tried to sell this three-piece suite, but nobody wants to know, I even offered to throw in furniture covers but nobody wants to know. It makes me sick every time I look at the thing, I can't believe that I ordered it. Though I did order it for the Formica. End of my shop, not for the quality end you see. So all I'm asking is. Let me raffle it, oh I want a ticket for a oi 350 suite as a bargain. I just want. To get rid of the thing, as soon as it's one I will personally deliver it. Just to make sure that I never have to see the bloody thing again. Frank was almost begging, he sounded like a manic depressive Arthur. Negus, slagging off furniture instead of praising it. Sure Frank, sure, said an astonished Patrick. Frank kissed his hand, and skipped away as happy as a sandboy. Harry Amjeet came running up to his master, in fact Amjeet. Flattened Patrick, he sat on his chest and licked his face. June dressed. As a baker stood by Patrick's head and laughed. That's what I want to see more often, my future husband at my feet. Adoring me. She tossed back her head and laughed. Harry Amjeet howled, his spit dripping all over Patrick's face. Big Sid. Noticed Patrick's position so he whistled for Amjeet to come to him. Now. When a butcher whistles a dog comes running, Amjeet was no exception and. No fool. Patrick's face was clean enough for now, Amjeet had better. Things to think about mainly his stomach. So leaping backwards and. Treading on Patrick's naughty bits Amjeet was gone, stomach first so too. Speak. Patrick his face wet from Amjeet, slowly got to his feet, Hey, Paint expression on his face. June laughed again, so Patrick went. Cross-eyed. I hope there's no permanent damage, she smirked. I'll get you at playtime, said Patrick as he started to tickle her. Winston and Curly arrived behind them were a Pentecostal choir. Its leader being Winston's mum. Mum insisted on coming, they are off to London in a few days for a competition, but mum said it would open their throats, explained. Winston as he shrugged his shoulders. I also said that I'd kick him, Curly and their damnation pirate radio out of my house if they didn't let us sing the praises of the Lord. Beamed his mother from under her Sunday best large hat. Well sing then, said Patrick not knowing what to say. David and Patrick dashed into the children's home for a few benches for the choir to sit and stand on. In a few minutes time the black country. Pentecostal choir champions began singing. Winston put up a sign saying. Jesus jukebox, his mother was going to belt him, Sunday best or no. Sunday best. June tactfully said it was true and did they know abide with me. So that's what they became, 
the Jesus jukebox, throw a pound in a bucket and shout out your request. Now the saying is the devil has all the best tunes, today he didn't. The girls in Pentecostal choirs always look as if they could be the devil's playthings, such as their beauty, but these beauties were the Lord's. They sung like angels though. Some passing stranger might wish they weren't. Wayne had not been a slouch either, he'd recently seen a documentary on Bob Geldof, so Wayne had copied his tactics. He had told several breweries that he needed a few barrels at short notice for the children's home fate, could he have time to pay, as the pub was going through a bad patch and he was even thinking of selling up. Now the men from the breweries began to twitch when they heard this news, so much so that they offered the beer for free, it was good public relations after all, the kind breweries helping a children's home. Of course the thought didn't cross their minds that Wayne might look kindly on them should he decide to sell. All Wayne had said was that he was thinking of selling. Wayne had arranged the loan of a tent or two or three for that matter from the breweries. He had also arranged that the beer would be delivered at the same time. So when the breweries unloaded they saw that another brewery was helping to, now they wouldn't want to be outdone. Would they? So what started as one barrel each became two barrels each. And so on, till for a finish Wayne had five barrels each off all the breweries, Bob Geldof would have been proud of him. Wayne had made the breweries play a game of poker with each other, only there was one winner. And it wasn't the breweries. Betty and Annie had thought their father was daft to have all the beer come at once, when they realized what their old dad was up to they were proud, so proud, the old dog certainly knew. A few tricks. Now that much beer would be more than enough, in fact too much, only real ale drinkers could drink so much. So Wayne had dialed. The daisy chain line of the real ale magazine, his one call had led to. Hundreds in the black country alone, all are called but only few answer. But when they answer you know about it. Real men had cried like little. Boys as their wives had said yes, but with the usual strings attached. An enormous grunt went up over the black country as forgotten tasks were. Done, these men weren't bitter, the tasks over they were on their way to. Heaven, a real ale heaven, and a children's home would benefit. Everything seemed to be going well, people had drifted in and. A crowd of two hundred or so were there. Then Patrick started to hop. About and cluck like a chicken, he'd realized they had no PA what's up, you look as if you'd discovered you were pregnant, asked. An anxious June. We've got no PA that's what's up, I mean we need it for announcements. And things, replied a flustered Patrick. We're doing okay so far, why bother? Asked a practical June. We just need it that's all, answered Patrick, the skin tightening. Over his face as he shook his head at her. At that moment Giorgio, a friend of Frank's arrived, he was. Driving one ice cream van and two of his ten children were driving two. More vans. Frank had forgotten to tell Patrick that Giorgio would be. Coming, people always like ice cream at fates, so Giorgio would be there. To do his bit, profits for the day going to the children's home. Come on buy me an ice cream, it'll calm me down, said June taking. Patrick by the hand and leading him to the first ice cream van. Patrick bought a 99 for himself and a triple 99 for June. Mrs. Giorgio. Smiled, she looked like a goddess, bearing ten children had had no effect. On her figure. When is the baby due? Asked Mrs. Giorgio. How do you know? Asked June as she devoured her ice cream. How do I know in me a mother of ten, it's in your eyes, it's in your breasts, that's how I know. 
Besides I used to eat triple 99s when I was. Pregnant too. Laughed Mrs. Giorgio. 5 is a nice number, but 10 is even better, boomed Giorgio, as he. Rolled up his sleeves revealing his strong as steel arms. June arched her eyebrows and looked at Patrick, he blushed, he was. Beginning to hate this penance business, everybody seemed to be making. Suggestions. Patrick looked at the sky and sighed, it was then that he. Noticed the loudspeakers on the ice cream vans. He kissed June because he. Was so happy, only June still had the ice cream to her face, the pair of. Them looked like mucky children. Patrick ran away to find Winston and Curly, June had another. Triple 99, they were very good. If she knew that Giorgio's 99s had an aphrodisiac effect she wouldn't have, that's how Mrs. Giorgio was a mother. Of ten after all. Patrick returned and pointed to the loudspeaker saw Top of the ice cream van. I suppose we could rig something up, from my van to these, it wouldn't be very good. And you'd have to space out the ice cream vans, but it's possible, said Whiston as he played with his Babylon badged. So that was settled, a PA system was devised from three ice cream vans. And Winston's van. Curly raced back and forth wiring everything up, the stereo speakers from Winston's van were taken out and placed on top of the van, they were as big as suitcases. Winston liked his music loud, with a capital L, with a little more jiggery-pokery at the end of 45. Minutes a PA system was set up. Mrs. Giorgio gave June a third triple. 99, she also pondered on June herself. How many brothers and sisters do you and your man have? Asked Mrs. Giorgio, standing with her hands on her hips. We are both only children, slurped June. Then having looked at your breasts I think five children will be good for. You, she said solemnly. No six is a better number, observed Mr. Giorgio. Mrs. Giorgio leant out from the ice cream van and squeezed June's left breast, it had to be the left one, the one by the heart. Yes, you are right, six children will be just right for you, Mrs. Giorgio nodded, the verdict had been made. The PA system was ready, Winston came up with the microphone in his hand. Patrick didn't know what to say, June solved his problem. Mrs. Giorgio has looked at my breasts and she says six children would be good for them, or rather for us, so it'll have to be six, once this first one is born, what do you think Patrick? June's voice echoed all over the children's home playing field. Er, 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 was Patrick's echoed startled reply. The crowd all looked in their direction, a hue smile on everybody's face. Well is that a yes? Asked June her voice echoing all over. Er, Chris? Said a confused Patrick. A cheer went up, Winston fed a tape through the system by accident, it was can't get enough of your love. Laughter rained on them, Patrick. Wish the earth would swallow him up. Come on, cheer up, you do love me don't you, why be ashamed? June. Look Patrick in the eye. I'm not ashamed, it's just that I never seem to get any privacy that's all. Patrick looked at the ground, why was there never any normality? For him, everything seemed to be advertised, he just wanted to be alone. With June. Come on then give us a kiss, teased June. So they kissed, Patrick didn't care that June tasted of ice cream and Cadbury's chocolate flake, in fact it made it better. Mrs. Giorgio and her husband looked on, it reminded them of themselves, their first hat. Been conceived in an ice cream van. I think that with a bit of effort they could have ten, observed Mrs. Giorgio. Her husband kissed her, perhaps they would make it eleven for themselves. Mrs. Murphy was making her way through the crowd when she heard. The PA announcement, 
It had made her heart jump with joy. That Italian woman certainly knew what she was talking about, and wouldn't it be great? Mr. and Mrs. Kemp had also heard the announcement they were making their way through the crowd from another direction. Both arrived by the ice cream van to see June and Patrick kissing, Giorgio and his wife were doing the same. Mrs. Murphy glowed, this was great, she wanted more of this. Mrs. Kemp was disgusted she needed a drink, so Mr. Kemp went with her to the drinks tent. The drinks tent was being ran by Wayne and family. His girls had dressed for the part, like St. Trinian school girls, with short skirts and stocking and suspenders. They provided the leering looks. Themselves, Wayne had tried to persuade them not to dress like that but girls will be girls, and the twins were certainly the twins. So Wayne did what any father would do, he put up a large sign. It read yes they are my daughters, and yes I do have a shotgun behind the bar, in fact. He had a horn with a compressed gas can attached to it. Any nonsense and he'd hoot, and then he'd beat the living daylights out of them. Crowds had built up at the fate and in the bar, and why? Well, Fr. Shaw had spoken to Inspector T. Howard. He had reminded him when he was little Tommy Howard, and how he had stolen a priest's bicycle. Fr. Shaw's bicycle. Now he wasn't one to tell tales, a priest hears. Confession and doesn't spill the beans. Yet, he could be tempted, as the inspector wasn't a Catholic and a crime is a crime after all, and there is no statute of limitations in England after all. So with a little arm twisting the inspector had decided to help. Now a policeman must always do his duty and show no favor so. Tommy Howard did that. And how? Well there are emergency plans and civil defense plans which get dusted off occasionally, rather like the old green goddesses. So that Saturday happened to be chosen as a day for civil defense practice, which means get all traffic off main roads and divert them down small roads. Now the children's home was off a small road, so if people who were diverted happened to pass it, once or twice or even three times, thanks to careful civil defense planning, then it was there. Free will to go into the children's home and enjoy a fun day out. It would be better than driving backwards and forwards for an hour or so. The police have to do their duty after all, for the good of us all, and should a children's home benefit then that was no fault of the police was. It. It might be the fault of a police inspector, but the fault of the. Police, nothing to do with them, nothing at all. Little Tommy Howard. Wasn't an inspector for nothing was he. So it was that Fr. Shaw was in the bar telling Wayne all this. Sergeant Mulholland was at his side having a refreshing cup of coffee, he. Couldn't drink on duty could he. The fact that it was 50% proof coffee. Now that was a natural calamity, a pity to ruin good Nescafe, but when a police officer is invited to have a coffee it is a civic duty to accept. And should it turn out to be 50% proof then he just has to suffer, for the sake of good community relations. As Sergeant Dot Mulholland was a very good community policeman he suffered for his duty, three or four times he suffered, but he didn't complain, because that's the kind of copper he was. The perfect laughing policeman, when he had heard about his. Inspector. Wayne waddled out from behind the bar when he saw Mrs. Murphy. Enter the tent, rushing towards her he shook her hand, after all in a. Manner of speaking the due for the children's home was Patrick's and June's. Engagement party. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a bottle of. Guinness, he handed it to her and began looking for a glass. Oh it's all right, no need for a glass, 
Mrs. Murphy put the bottle to her lips and drank. Mrs. Kemp looked around to see Mrs. Murphy, she would never drink from a bottle, she'd forgotten how she had the other day when she heard she was to be a granny. In every bottle of Guinness a baby is born, no doubt that's how her son took advantage of our daughter, she said looking down her nose. This is supposed to be a celebration for the children's home, not a vendetta, said Mr. Kemp. Vendetta sounds such a nice word sometimes, said Mrs. Kemp looking at her nails, as if readying them to scratch somebody's eyes out. Come on, let's get a drink, urged Mr. Kemp as he made his way through. The crowd in the bar. Betty climbed on top of a table so she could shout. Can we have those glasses please, no glasses means no drink. Yes no glasses means no drink. Echoed Annie who had got Matthew to lift. Her up above the crowd. A shout went up, a slow procession of men in duffel coats were carrying. Eight barrels of beer towards the tent, all they lacked was a trumpet. Blowing Harold. Annie and Betty ran to greet them. Uncles, 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 yes it was the men from Uncle All Right, the duffel coats gave them away, it was the real ale men. Don the lead uncle handed a fistful of labels to the twins, the girls. Laughed, he hadn't forgotten. So the girls quickly ran about tying the labels to the men. There were 150 real ale men to be labeled, all wearing their duffel coats in honor of Wayne's girls, it took quite a while for all to be labeled but labeled they had to be. Others in the crowd began to laugh at the sight, but the real ale men took these things. Seriously, tradition was tradition after all. With all due ceremony, their gift was brought into the bar, Wayne smiled his thanks and wiped away a tear. His one phone call had brought this, all for the sake of the children. Well, we wanted to help so we got some of the brewers in other areas. To help too, Don waved his hand over the two four-packs they were carrying. I think we might run out of glasses, said Wayne sucking his bottom. Lip. No problem, said Don as he coughed before addressing the duffel-coated. Army. Men, present arms. He ordered. As one in a giant flourish they each brandished two plastic glasses. The coat pockets of the duffel-coats do have their uses after all. A round of applause greeted the sight of their glasses, Betty and Annie did. Cartwheels, showing their navy blue knickers. This brought another round of applause, Maureen their mother fainted and Wayne blew his horn and told his daughters to stop flashing their knickers. The girls then had an idea, as they hated washing glasses, why not make people pay to do it? A few more pounds for the home would be raised too. They both had read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn as children as well as Paddington Bear. Soon from the massed ranks of the Paddington Bears and the normal people a Q had formed, to pay for the privilege of washing glasses. Smiling Paul had turned up to, he wanted to put a sign up. Saying honest smiling Paul your bookie, only Sergeant. Mulholland had warned him of the Trade Description Act, so his sign just said bet here. People did bet too, smiling Paul took bets on anything. The color of the next person to bet's shirt, the age of the third person to walk past. His pitch. He even had spiders in a jar, he had spider races he even. Had a handicap system to race the spiders. He handicapped them by taking. One of the legs off, all done most humanely with his cigarette lighter. Only a few times the whole spider ignited and the spider scrambled away. Like a dying comet. So smiling Paul took bets on how long a spider would. Burn, of course with bets like these it was the children who lost the most money, but they loved it the most. Smiling Paul even had a guess. 
the weight of his briefcase competition, the answer would be revealed at the end of the day when the weight of money would be taken. Guess the number of drunks to fall over within a 10-yard range of the beer tent was a particular favorite, with drunks who hadn't yet fallen over. He even had bets on telling the time. How this one worked was somebody would look at their watch, as soon as this happened smiling Paul would ask them the time, if the person didn't look at their watch again then Paul had to pay out to the man making the bet. As people always look at their watch when you ask them the time, even if it is seconds since they last looked at it. Paul was smiling. People always look at their watch, so Paul won all the time on that one, private walker of dad's army would have been proud of. Him. The Pentecostal choir were beginning to flag, the last notes of. When the saints go marching and drifted over the field, only they didn't. Fade away for the tune was taken up by a band. Faint at first but growing. In strength and power, the sound was unmistakable. It grew and grew till. It was bold and brassy, it became a quality sleaze sound. And who was? Making this devilish sound, none other than Jimmy's Jewish jazz band, a collection of 25 of the best jazz men from the Midlands. Each wore a t-shirt with Jimmy's Jewish jazz band on it, Jonathan the son of one. Of them was in the screen printing business, so he'd made up the t-shirts. The jazz men glided through the crowd, jazz musicians never hurry they just ooze, they play as easily as they breath. This is how the band made its way to headquarters, jazz men are no fools so as they played they headed straight for the beer tent. All but four of them that is, four went towards the main building, when one tune had finished the four by the main building began playing strangers on the shore, the old acker bill kit sounded great as it echoed off the walls of the children's home. As they played the other 21 had a drink or two or three then. Seemingly without effort they joined in, a jazz man could fall down the stairs such as at the waterworks club and still be in tune as he hits the bottom, and then he'd have a drink, say hello to his friends before effortlessly joining in whatever is playing. If the Pentecostal choir was the Jesus jukebox, then jazz is the devil's own music, for it reaches the parts other music cannot reach, which is appropriate as jazz and Drinking go hand in hand, and why not? Jimmy smiled from ear to ear as he saw and listened to the sound. His one phone call had brought all this, a band with 1,000 years of experience in it, even Methuselah would be impressed. Ronnie Scott has finally reached the Midlands, he too would have been impressed, only he wasn't there. Mr. Kemp was, he decided on the spot to get Jimmy's Jewish jazz band to play at the forthcoming Freemasons function. Abraham, Isaac, David, Joshua, Moses, Zach, Saul, began Jimmy as. He went around slapping the band on the back, shaking his head in. Amazement. It's okay, it's like you said, Catholics are just Jews gone wrong, beside. It's for the sake of the children, said Mossy with a smile, before. Pausing to play his part in the next tune, then breaking off again to. Have a drink, then laughing. Fr. Shaw came and blessed the band, he even had a word or two. For them in Yiddish, he laughed the most when told that Catholics were just Jews who'd gone wrong. From the confessions he heard he knew just how far wrong Catholics could go. One of the many cars to be misdirected. Accidentally on purpose towards the children's home was a Rolls Royce. In the Rolls Royce was a very important man, a Japanese man, a man who'd been this way before, 16 years or more before. By his side was a man grown fat on the profits of hard work, bloody hard work, his name.
was John Allenby. As the car went past the Japanese man looked, though. Old his eyesight was still good, wasn't that Wayne the publican. So John. Allenby and the Japanese man came in to say hello. The old Japanese man looked at Wayne, he saw two girls dressed. Most strangely, he noticed a weeping willow of a woman. He licked his lips, he had remembered the special reserve, though he had finished his bottle years ago, he still had the empty bottle. The men in the duffel coats with labels on seemed most strange, his English had improved, but the customs of the English always seemed to fox him. While the old Japanese man was thinking of the past, the present touched his arm. It was F.R. Shaw, in perfect Japanese he was welcomed, the mystery of the men. In duffel coats was explained. They talked in Japanese. But how do you a priest know Japanese? He asked. I was a missionary in Africa for years, the only company I had was the radio. So I started listening to the shortwave, I found Radio Japan and learnt the language from it. I even wrote saying it was a pity I did not have a cassette thingy otherwise I could record the language lessons. So they sent me a fancy radio cassette thingy plus some solar cell things. It was very nice of them, explained Fr. Shah. But Japanese is a very hard language for the English to learn. For the English maybe, but I'm Irish, carry Irish, from Castle Island. Besides I am a Jesuit, the Samuri of the church, said Fr. Shah from. Beneath his eyebrows, John Allenby returned from the bar with a bottle of special reserve, Wayne. Always had some ready for special friends. The old Japanese man's face lit up like a Christmas tree, he had a tear in his eye, there was magic. In the air that day he knew it. Fr. Shaw knew it, perhaps he could persuade the Japanese man to invest in the future, in the children. Fr. Shaw looked around, his gaze fell on Mrs. Murphy, her hand immediately went into her pocket. She would help him, no she didn't have a gun in her pocket, but he was glad to see her do it. Her pocket breathed, it jumped, it was as if there was a frog inside it. The only frog inside was a pair of frog rosary beads, a friend had brought them back from. Lord for Mrs. Murphy. With one hand in her pocket Mrs. Murphy had begun to pray, her other hand held a Guinness, but what of it, she prayed. Anywhere. The look on Fr. Shaw's face told her to pray, so pray she did. Even if it did look as if she had a frog in her pocket. The jazz band played in one corner of the grounds, a refreshed Pentecostal choir sang in another, people bed and drank. Ken the postman. Pat arrived and the kids got on his nerves. While all this went on. Around the children's home, at the eye of the storm were Mrs. Murphy, and Fr. Shaw wrestling in Japanese. After the 700th time being called postman Pat Ken. Had developed a twitch again so he decided to hide in the crowd. The Children thought it was just a great game so they followed him, but Ken was very light-footed. First he hide in the beer tent, he downed two pints of Guinness and one of bitter, then he borrowed one of the real ale. Men's duffel coat. So he was undetectable, or so he thought, Matthew. Brought him an enormous sandwich with compliments from Big Sid. It's fun being postman Pat, I wish I could do that. Said Matthew. All that glitters is not gold, was Ken Sage reply. Yes you are right, sometimes it's Cadbury's chocolate, observed Matthew. As he went away, Ken scratched his head and wondered what that meant, sometimes he thought. Matthew wasn't simple at all, just too deep for understanding, Ken had. Now had his fourth pint. He belched, the contented belch of a happy man. One enterprising child stood in the doorway or flap rather of. 
The beer tent, she tapped her foot and folded her arms in disgust, fancy. Postman Pat drinking even if he wasn't the real Postman Pat. She tapped. Her foot again, as she tapped more and more children gathered, they were. Like red Indians surrounding the settlers. Her foot tapping was like the drums beating, behind her big Sid and Mark's pig roast provided the smoke. Signals. One by one the duffel-coated army turned to see why there was a crowd of children in the entrance. I'll count to ten, then we're coming for you, shouted the little miss. Ken looked around in alarm, he bolted like a frightened deer breaking from his camouflage of a duffel coat. He had forgotten to take his hat and sack off, so it wasn't very good in the first place. As Ken ran out, the back entranced the children stormed through the tent in hot pursuit. They patted their mouths making the best red Indian noises they could. From his grandstand posture by the food Big Sid's chest swelled. With pride, how nice Ken was being just for the sake of the children. He's a good on his our Ken, said Sid. He's a fine fellow that's sure, added Mark. Ring a ring of roses a pocket full of posies, ashes in the water ashes in. The sea, and we all fell down. First Ken ran one way around the crowd. Then turning on his heels as he did when he saw dogs on his round, he ran. The other way. Round and round the garden like a teddy bear, one step. Two steps, ran Ken like the bear running away from Teddy Roosevelt. Goosey goosey gander where shall I wander, unstairs and downstairs and in. My lady's chamber. It was as if all the worst parts of nursery rhyme maze were coming to pass, and Ken was the victim. Go up into the attic, go. Down into the cellar, you can do them both together Cinderella. When over 150 children are chasing you, you tend to imagine all sorts of things. Ken shook them off by diving into the ladies' loo. Which way did he go, did you see a princess? I saw no. Princess just a servant, she was dressed in rags, she did not look like a princess, replied the guards in their high hats and blue stockings. A scream went up, a battered Ken emerged from the ladies' loo, Mrs. Kemp. Was leading the battering, she had a good left hook on her, Henry Cooper. Would have stood no chance. Leave him alone yelled the children for. A minute they felt sad for him, they closed their eyes and counted and. Shouted to ten, then they'd be after him. With fear in his eyes Ken. Flew, straight into the arms of Whiston. Help hide me quick, begged Ken, his eyes gone wild like balls in a pinball machine, only he was losing points not gaining them. Winston shoved him into his van and covered him with a coat, Ken was deafened as the van was the source of the PA and music. He felt like the hunchback of Notre Dame, only he was the posty hiding from the dam. Children, the PA, the PA. Matthew came with food from Big Sid and drink from Wayne, they both knew where Ken was, in fact all the adults knew but luckily for Ken the children did not. The gulf between adults and children was proving to be a LFE saver that day. Harry Amjeet even came to say hello. Ken bribed him with a piece of beef. Once the beef was eaten Harry Amjeet let out a howl and ran away from the van as if he was following Ken. This gave Ken a chance to escape from the sound of music, there were no hills. Just the sound of music. So while the children ran one way after Harry Amjeet, Ken ran. The other, he was out in the open he had to find cover. So he went and hid amongst the Jesus jukebox. Meanwhile smiling Paul had taken advantage of this random hair race, he was taking bets as to where Ken would be found next and how long it would take the kids. If there was a sixpence to be made then smiling Paul would make it and turn it into a shilling. Smiling Paul was excited, once he had done a bit of on-course betting. 
That had been a thrill, but here amongst the crowds it was open season. He even had bets on how many people would tie up their shoelaces in a given five-minute period, naturally all the Chinese in the crowd had gravitated towards him. There was no kidding them, smiling Paul may look like in pale asterisks the Gaul, but they could tell, he was really a Chinaman. Between them they formed a human Nintendo game, smiling Paul. Firing the ball and it bouncing off all of them, their eyes registering. The scores and the near misses. To bet on Ken was the ultimate bet, it was almost a blood sport. Ken found his voice amongst the choir, he began to enjoy. Himself, he sang his heart out. Only he had made a slight mistake, he was the only white man, in the West Indian choir, children sometimes. Cannot see the wood for the trees but he w's pushing his luck a little. The little miss came and stood in front of the choir she scratched her head, as the rest of them ran one way then another after Harry Amjeet. It is amazing what a dog will do for a bribe, besides Amjeet liked being chased. The little miss looked all about, then she scratched her head. Again, till slowly she turned around, she had him in her sights. She folded her arms and shook her head, he had been caught cheating again. She gave him her best policewoman stare like WPC Martella off the bill. Ken gulped, he knew the game was up, though he did wriggle on the line, he changed his position in the choir. The little miss shook her head, the other children still rushed by, one or two stopped. Ken changed his position in the choir, one or two more children stopped by. The choir, the little miss shook her head again. Harry Amjeet howled, he was trying to distract the children again, but it was no use little by. Little they all stopped next to the little miss. Smiling Paul changed the bet with the Chinese, he had a trick. In the tale even if Ken hadn't. The Chinese took the new bet as one. They yelled encouragement as only the Chinese can. Ken changed his position in the choir several more times, he was trying to hide in. Somebody else's aura. The little miss shook her head again and again and. Again. The Jesus jukebox sang Amazing Grace, and the little miss who would one day be a police inspector smiled and even laughed, Grace was. Her name after all, the little girl lauded to see such fun in the dish. Ran away with the spoon, or rather Ken clutching his bag bolted. While all this went on Fr. Shaw and the Japanese man wrestled. Their ring was Mrs. Murphy's beads, a deal was to be had, just a little. Persuasion was needed. Balbinder, Amjeet's wife, was holding a sari. Dressing competition, Ken came running towards her. As quick as a flash. Ken was engulfed in a saffron sari, though he did look more like a mummy. Than an Indian lady. The children dashed back and forwards, they had. Lost him. Ken breathed easily for a while, Matthew came with a pint and a. Straw for him, while Matthew held the drink Ken sipped. Ken was very. Thirsty what with all the running about, so Matthew brought another pint. And a straw, when you drink through a straw you get drunk fast, as no. Air is mixing with the drink. Perhaps the same thing happens with babies. And mother's milk, no air just pure milk, so babies like drunks have that. Wide-eyed happy expression. Whatever the truth of it Ken was now. Dribbling like a baby. Little Miss Grace stopped and let her eyes do the walking. Perhaps she'd sell yellow pages in the future, if she wasn't a police. Inspector, who knows? Soon she spotted him. His hat and sack were engulfed in saffron but the postman Pat look could not be be hidden, he looked as if he was covered in saffron cling film to keep him fresh. Balbinder saw little Miss Grace, she whispered in Ken's ear on the count of three.
with a mighty heave, like a crack of a whip hin. Rippled out of his covering and spun like a top, he glided like a Birmingham Royal Ballet dancer, straight through a gap in the mast. Ranks of the duffel-coated real ale drinkers. It was only a small gap. But Ken spun through it, Balbinder had put a lot of spin on her pull. She had recently been bowling at Sturchley, now the technique had been put to good use. Ken was safe. After him. Yelled Grace just like the Wicked Witch of the West. The hordes of children stormed through the gap, Ken's very life was at stake now, Balbinder crossed her fingers for him. Go Ken, go. The Chinese screamed too, they had just lost another bet to smiling Paul. But the excitement of it all, it was too much. Ken had more lives than a cat, the lucky dog. Frank was displaying a carpet just as Ken came. Hurtling through the duffel coats, Ken fell, the children would tear him. Limb from limb. Oh no they wouldn't, oh yes they would, you want to bet. Show me your money, smiling Paul took another hundred. Frank quickly. Wrapped Ken up in the carpet, just as sweets used to be wrapped in a paper cone, now it was a carpet of Ken. Then with a heave Ken was thrown. Into the back of Frank's furniture van. Ken had disappeared off the face of the earth, aliens must. Have taken him, so though the kids. At that moment a Rolls Royce. Appeared and he was driving, he parked next to the Japanese man's Rolls. There were newlyweds inside, the bride had been brought up at the home. So she had insisted in coming back to say hello. June let go of Patrick. It was lucky to catch the bouquet, she was going to catch it, by hook or. By crook that bouquet was hers. Smiling Paul saw the look in June's eye. She looked just like her mother for a second. Smiling Paul took bets on who would catch the bouquet, the Chinese nearly wet themselves with excitement, he really must be Chinese. They were sure of it. June whispered something in Harry Amjeet's ear she had promised him a whole tube of Rolo, Amjeet's soul was hers. So the wolf beheld the moon and the sea of people parted, the bouquet was thrown and June caught it, she had the prize, and the hairy dog laughed. To see such fun, and ran away with a tube of Rolo. Everybody was having a fun day, everybody that is except for Martin, he'd been diverted to the fair too. He'd seen all the fun, he'd seen Jimmy and the jazz band too, it was Jimmy's son's fault that he was short of cash. So some poxy children's home was making all this dough. While he barely had enough for his habit. Martin noticed smiling Paul's bulging briefcase, there must be a few thousand in it. Martin looked all around people were crowding around the rolls with the bride and groom in. Martin had an idea, his duffel coat was a great disguise, all he had to do was grab the money, he could hide amongst the massed ranks of the real ailmen. So it was that Martin won against all the odds. Only. Just Finder had seen him, she scrambled after him. He saw her and tripped. Over his shoelace, the shoe came off. Smiling Paul wiped his face with a handkerchief, it had been a great day, the best day in his life. He may as well start counting his money. Martin was already counting his chickens before they had hatched, he'd lost a shoe but gained thousands. Where's the suitcase gone? Asked a panic-stricken smiling Paul. That man took it, said Just Finder. Which one love? Asked Paul urgently. The one in the duffel coat, said Just Finder. There's a lot of duffel coats Just Finder, said Paul trying to stay. Calm. He called me a wog when I saw him, said Joinder starting to cry. Don't cry Just Vinder, sighed Paul. The Chinese looked sad, they had had so much fun and this should happen. It was not fair. One of them noticed the shoe on its own. 
Whose shoe is this? asked a confused Chinaman. The man in the duffel coat lost it, he swore at me too, explained. Just Finder beginning to cry again. We've no chance of catching him now, not in all the crowd, said a sad. Smiling Paul. The mass ranks of the children ran by still searching for Ken, Fr. Shaw. And the Japanese man still spoke in Japanese, in a black country field. June and Patrick were kissing again, Big Sid was feeding the five. Thousand, though not with five loaves and two fishes. Everybody was. Happy, Martin was very happy, yet in one quite corner there was a sad. Bookie, he'd had the happiest day of his life now it was spoiled. As for. Harry M.G. he'd sold his soul for a tube of Rollo, but if the sinner. Truly repent there is always hope, hope beyond reason, hope beyond hope. Harry M.G. came to lick Jaswinder's tears away, just who had. Hurt his little Indian princess, upset her and you upset him. He sat in. Front of her, his ears down. One of the Chinese suggested half-heartedly. That perhaps the animal could find the man, they had his shoe though he. Was no Cinderella, he was a thief, the worst kind of thief, who had. Stolen from children, and a bookie. Just Finder gave Harry M.G. the shoe to smell, then she said the. One word that all dogs the world over love to hear. Fetch Amjeet, fetch, said Just Vinder wiping a tear away. Amjeet looked at her, he licked the tear away, then his ears pricked up. The hare may have a head start put this hound was on the trail. As. One the Chinese leapt for joy, there was another bet to be made, how. Many seconds before the thief was caught. They thrust money into smiling. Paul's hands, he didn't understand it, they were shouting and screaming. In Chinese, it was like Black Monday on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Amjeet let out a blood-curdling howl, birds scattered from trees. And babies began to cry, people spun around, Martin began to sweat. The wolf was after little Red Riding Hood, come to me my precious precious. Amjeet licked his lips, he stopped to sniff the air. Howl, howl, howl. He went, there was flavor in the air, there was joy, there were kisses. Of love and laughter. There was hope and there was fear, Amjeet could. Smell the fear, that was the scent he was after. The Chinese leapt every. Time Amjeet howled, they were his echo, they were his cheerleaders from. Behind, they were the pack while he was the dog. Every dog has his day. And today was Amjeet's, howl, howl, howl he went. The sea of duffel coats parted, the Pentecostal choir sang. Lord of the dance. The words rang out, it's hard to dance with the devil. On your back, Martin knew what that meant, he really knew, he was. Sweating buckets now. Amjeet sniffed several of the, the duffel-coated men now. The duffel coat was not the main scent, it was the thieving Cinderella's. Shoe he was after. Ba ba black sheep have you any wool, yes sir, yes. Sir three bags fold, echoed over the field. The jazz men played the. Devil's got my soul, Amjeet had sold his soul for a tube of Rollo, but now. He wanted it back and the money for the children's home too. Howl. Howl howl he went. Martin began to run, his heart began to pound fear. Was about him. He had given himself away, Amjeet howled for joy in the distance other dogs echoed his howl, there was fear in the air, and Amjeet was about to eat it. Amjeet leapt, Martin spun around, Amjeet had bitten a pace from his duffel coat. The next bite would be him, so. Martin shoved the briefcase down Amjeet's throat. Heel, Amjeet, heel, said. Shouted Patrick, who thought his. Dog had gone wild. Martin escaped, Amjeet sat with the money between his paws. Patrick came. Running up, smiling Paul and the excited Chinese came running up.
The stopwatch showed the winner of the ultimate bet. Good boy, good boy, shouted smiling Paul hugging all his Chinese. Friends. What's going on? Asked Patrick. MG, saved the day, that man had stolen the money. Explained. Smiling Paul. Oh, said Patrick his jaw dropping. Patrick said sorry to Amjeet, and reaching into his pocket he gave Amjeet. His last rollo, Amjeet had regained his soul too. Thanks for your help today, lad said smiling Paul. We have great day, you come with us to restaurant and casino in Hearst. Street Birmingham, we would be honored, enthused the Chinese. But why? Asked a happy smiling Paul. We like you, they all said. Smiling Paul began to cry, he thought he'd lost all the mommy. Including the side bets he'd taken too, and now not only had he got all his money back, he'd also made friends. It was all too much for him. But that night he'd celebrate like he'd never celebrated before. Father Shaw spat on his hand and held it out, the most important. Japanese man looked at him for a second, then he spat on his hand and they shook hands. A deal had been done just as they do deals at Puck Fair. In Fr. Shaw's beloved carry. Mrs. Murphy leapt for joy, she brought out her hand from her pocket to applaud, in doing so she sent her beads. Flying, they landed on the handshake. God works in mysterious ways, said Fr. Shaw. I thought she had a gun in her pocket, said the Japanese man. The three of them laughed, but it was the children who had the last laugh. Because Japan was going to invest in the children's home, with computers. And electrical material. Fr. Shaw had begged for second-hand stuff. Instead he got the best. So the children's home fate was a great success, everybody was. More than happy, all except Martin. As for Ken he came out of hiding too. Hitch a lift home and in the back of a hearse, he was dead tired after all. The running around. The children cheered and waved him goodbye, it was. The first time ever that a hearse had been cheered, but perhaps ever. Cloud does have a silver lining.